comes, takes his liberty. God bless you, sir. Bless you. Thank you. And wonderful. Please do take your seats. Well, thank you, Pastor Joseph. It's, uh, it's a real joy to be here uh, with you all this morning. Uh, we're just uh, excited to be here at Christian Life Fellowship. And uh, yes, a great time yesterday. A number of people became Christians on the streets as well. Uh, and uh, there was a deaf ear opened and, and other kind of miracles that happened um, as we were praying. Can I just say a quick, uh, a quick little thing um, before I get into my main message um, today? I would just like to make reference to a scripture here. Uh, I was in prayer this morning just praying for the church and praying for um, Pastor Joseph here. And um, as we were just praying, both Justin and myself, we, we felt the Lord dropped some things into our hearts and we shared them with him uh, before the meeting started. And he just said to us, you know, it'd be good for the church to hear it. And so I just want to say um, for a moment, I really believe that God is taking you as a church into a whole new season. And, uh, and, and in that season, it's a, it's a season in which um, there is a shift taking place. Many of you have really known uh, Joseph, Pastor Joseph, as your pastor. But I really see that that apostolic call that is on his life is just going to come to a whole new season of, uh, you know, of manifestation in terms of healing and the power of God and in terms also uh, of further church plants. And in fact, as we were praying, I saw a vision of him um, lifted up in the spirit, looking over London and God showing him different places where new churches were to be planted. And I heard very specifically in my heart these words, now is not a time to maintain, now is the time to equip and enlarge. And I heard it three times, equip and enlarge, equip and enlarge, equip and enlarge. And, uh, you know, so the thing about it is that then uh, I met with Justin over breakfast, hadn't told him anything of what I said. I said, just as the Lord said anything to you, and he almost repeated word for word what the Lord said to me. And so we've just passed that on. I wanted to share this with you. Really believe that God is taking you into a whole new season and uh, and you know to be ready and prepared for that second Corinthians 10 is a, is a real um, significant word in that the apostle Paul said this we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves comparing themselves among themselves are not wise we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so the Lord is, is bringing an enlargement, an expansion through the ministry here, and he does it through your faith. And so I want to encourage you to really rise up in faith and be saying to the Lord, here I am, send me. I am fully available. I want you to use me. I'm willing to serve in any way possible to be trained and to be equipped and see what God is going to do through your life in this new season of expansion and of the release of the miraculous, a greater release of the miraculous amongst you as well. So it's a great day and a great time to be alive in Christian Life Fellowship. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Great stuff. Well, I'm going to be back to share in a few moments, but I've asked Justin if he would come and just share his testimony with us today, and then I'm going to be back to share the word. Can we just give him a warm welcome? 
just to confirm that word there that, that Jonathan was sharing, um, the sense that I had uh, as well is that there are a number of you that have been through, a number of you younger guys and girls that have been through a period of training. And actually, this is the time for you to step up and actually step into what you've been in your heart and know that you're called to in the Lord uh, and not to be afraid and not to be looking constantly now to those that have trained you. This is a time now for you to step into your destiny and to take your place, your position uh, that, that the Lord has assigned for you. So be encouraged. This is a time for you. This is a time for the next generation to be looking outwards and being, uh, being available to be sent out by him into the new places, the new boroughs, the new church plants that the Lord will be raising up. So my name is Justin. And it's a pleasure to be here with you uh, this morning. Um, I just want to share with you briefly my testimony of how I came to know Jesus. Because you see, the truth is this. We're all born into a family. And the family that I was born into, I'm the youngest of four children born to my parents. But tragically, the family that I was born into, my parents had been through not only tragedy, but also were in tremendous hardship. Tragedy because, sadly, at 16 months, they lost their firstborn son. He died. He effectively choked to death. And my father, who was a very proud man, a very intelligent man, and a very independent man, I believe in his heart, even though he would have said, he didn't believe there was a God. I believe it in his heart. He blamed God for this tragedy. Actually, we know from the Bible that God doesn't cause those things to happen. He doesn't cause bad things to happen because he is good. But he, I believe he blamed God for this tragedy in his life. And then the second thing that happened, the second child born to my parents, the eldest surviving, my brother Ian, is severely Down syndrome. My sister was born then and I'm the youngest. And so I was born into a family that was suffering from the, the, the trauma and the grief of losing a son. You know, my father said that it was more than just before he died. He said it took him almost two years. It was about two years before he could even say the name of the son that he'd lost. Such was the grief and the pain in his heart. And then... With, with a severely handicapped child, I don't know if anyone here either has or knows of, of, of families that have severely handicapped children, but actually it places a tremend, tremendous strain. You know, my brother was in nappies until he was eight years old. And that was before disposables. So the work, and he slept very little, and it was constantly having to look after. And so there was a lot of pressure in the family. Even as a young child, I was aware, before I knew any of this, I was aware in the house that there was a dark presence, a darkness in the house. And I couldn't have expressed it to you, I couldn't have put it into words, but I just knew there was something cold and dark in our house. And it was different to other houses that I might have gone into or other buildings that I might have gone into, schools or wherever. There's something different about our house. And I was not only aware of that, I was also aware that there was, a, there was a, something unstable about my father. Most of the time he was very trustworthy 
And, you know, if I'd done something wrong, which, you know, being a boy, believe it or not, I did from time to time. Most of the time it was a measured, you know, kind of ticking off. But sometimes there was an disproportionate anger that would erupt from him. It was so fierce and so loud that it was almost, it felt almost like um, spears or arrows going through me. It caused pain within as, as he exploded, literally exploded in anger. And again, I probably couldn't have put it into words, but it, it kind of, I grew up not quite knowing whether I could really trust him or whether he really loved me. And I started to do things, I started to say things which were wrong and were untrue. I've, I've, I became an habitual liar. I started to do things like steal. I started to steal money. That developed later as, as I, I grew a little bit older. I started to steal things from shops. Um, and, and I started to steal other people's money. So I became this habitual liar, uh, a stealer, and then um, a thief. And then when I was a bit older, I started to smoke, probably about the age of 10. Um, and, you know, if I could get hold of cigarettes, I would just start to smoke them. By the time I was 18, I was smoking 20 a day. I'd left home at 16. I was at college. Bizarrely, even though my parents didn't have a faith in God, they sent me to church because of the music. So I was in the choir. I was a chorister. You know, I used to dress up and have all the, you know, the sort of garb. And, I, you know, I would hear about God. I would sing about God. I would even pray to God. But no one ever told me that I could know him personally. Nobody ever told me that I could be forgiven for the things that I've done wrong. It wasn't until I was a student and I was in my second year of doing my A-levels. I was away from home, able to study away from home. And a friend of mine, I was sharing a student house with him. He was my best mate at college. He started, he decided one day he would go with his girlfriend to church because he'd heard about a church in the town down in Devon where I come from. I gave him a really hard time. I mocked him. I'd been brought up to mock people who had a faith. My father was a microbiologist. He was a scientist. And he believed that the best explanation for things was Darwinian evolution. Of course, that's no explanation to the origins of life at all. But that's what I was brought up with. And I was brought up with that and to mock people of faith. And so I gave him a really hard time. But anyway, he and his girlfriend, they went and they came back and they started to tell me things about this church. It didn't sound anything like church to me at all. It sounded nothing like my experience. He said that when, when the people were worshipping, it was like there was a presence in the room. He said when the people prayed, it was like they were talking to somebody that they knew. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't understand this. It got me intrigued. And I thought, well, I can either mock it and stay away from it and pretend, you know, that somehow he's got it wrong. Or I can go and check it out for myself. And so I decided to go and check it out. Eventually, cutting a long story short, the guy who led the church, who was a retired school teacher, said, Justin, I've heard a lot about you from Tom, my mate. Why don't you come over, have a cup of tea and a piece of cake, come and tell me all about what you believe. So I thought, right, I will. I'll go and I'll try and convince him that he's, he's believing the wrong thing. And I did. That's, that's, that's the, that what was in my heart as I went there. So I went to meet with him and, you know, a cup of tea, piece of cake, very nice. Most students will accept that, <laughs> free food. And uh, he listened very graciously and very patiently to me. 
And even as I was telling him what, uh, what I thought I believed, even as I was telling him, I was thinking, do I, do I really believe this? Do I really believe this? And so he listened, and then at the end he said, Justin, I've heard a lot of people say that they believe very similar things to you. Can I just take two minutes to tell you what I know to be the truth? I said, yeah, sure. And so he just very simply, face to face, looking me straight in the eye, said this. He said, Justin, this is the truth. God really loves you. He knows everything about you. And he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay stuck where you are. He says that everyone born into the world is born into the world with a condition that the Bible calls sin. It means separation from God and it causes us to do all sorts of things which we know are wrong, but we still end up doing them anyway. He said God doesn't want us to stay stuck there. And so he he sent his son on a rescue mission, his son Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross, he didn't die for anything he'd done wrong because he'd had a perfect life. He was dying to pay the price for your sin and my sin, for the sin of the whole world. And to prove that the price of sin has been paid for, the price of your sin has been paid for, God raised him from the dead on the third day. He gave me a tract. He gave me a New Testament. He said, Justin, if what I have said to you is the truth, and Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, I challenge you, he said, take this away, and before you start reading them, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. Two nights later, it was February, it was 1984, my best mate Tom and I were having yet another student, long student conversation. We were actually talking about the nature of love. He'd been starting to read his Bible. He read a little bit at the end of the Bible to me. It's in the first letter of John, chapter 4. And he got down to verse 8. I don't remember the first bits that he said. But he got to verse 8. The second half of verse 8 says this. God is love. And when he said that, I was filled from the top of my head to the soles of my feet with the most powerful experience I've ever had in my life. I was filled wave after wave after wave. I, 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 I tell you, I knew this was God. I knew that my sin, all the stuff that felt dirty on the inside, I knew it was washed away. And I knew that I was now in a relationship with God. And my life has never been the same. And this is the truth. What God did for me, he wants to do for each one of us. Amen. Bless you. Thank you for listening. Amen. Shall we just pray for a moment? Father, we're so grateful to you for your amazing love. We thank you, Lord, that you gave your son for each and every one of us, that we could know you, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know us. You love us. You gave your life for us. And, Lord, you're here this morning in the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that you would touch each one of our lives today, that you would encourage every heart, that you would build faith in everyone's life. And Father God, I pray for those who need a miracle from you today in one form or another. I pray that they would receive what they need from you. Most of all, I pray that not one person will leave this place without the joy of forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning. For those of you who perhaps are, are visiting and perhaps you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this will be the most important message you'll ever hear in your life. I can say that with absolute confidence it was for me and it is for every human being. And so I want to share with you on this subject of the power of the cross. What makes this great love of God accessible, the presence and the power of God accessible to each and every one of us? And for those of us who already know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this will be a great reminder to you of what Jesus has done for you and for every one of us. And I pray that it will motivate you. The Apostle Paul actually said in 2 Corinthians 5 that when he considered what Jesus did for him and did for all of us at the cross, it compelled him to live for Christ and to share Christ with others. That word compel in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written is the word saniko. And it means to be held in an inescapable grip. It's the word that is used when, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus and they put him in chains. It's the word that was used when demons bound people. But in every use of the word, it's a word that speaks of an inescapable escape. And when we really consider the love that God has for us and was expressed in the cross. It has such a, an effect upon us. It grips our hearts. If it doesn't grip our hearts, we've not really seen the wonder of what God did for us at the cross. And Christianity, in essence, of course, is not a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's not like something that's just there as a kind of way of reforming our moral behavior. What it is, it's about the power of God to transform our lives from the inside out through a relationship with the God who is real, who loves us and knows us. Amen? And so it's uh, utterly powerful. So I want to read a scripture to you. If you've got a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 18 to 24. And the Apostle Paul says these words. For the message of the cross, and I'm going to put some emphasis on it so we really get hold of it today. For the message of the cross, or about the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. Powerful, powerful words. 
the Apostle Paul actually in Galatians 6.14, he said this, that he gloried in the cross. He said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Christ by which I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me. You know, he was a great intellectual, the Apostle Paul. He was known even throughout the Roman world as being a great intellectual. Very, very wise and intellectual man. He was known to be a man actually who, who's a, he was a religious zealot. He tried to live his life by all the best standards of Judaism, fulfilling the law of Moses to every dot and tittle of the law. And yet despite that fact, he didn't know God. And you know, if there was anybody who could boast about their own righteousness in themselves, it would have been Paul. If there's anybody who could have boasted about their supernatural experiences, he went to the third heaven, saw things that were unlawful for a man to utter. He saw signs and wonders, brought the whole of Asia Minor to the obedience of faith through the power of signs and wonders. Historians of, of that day tell us that up to 300 years after Paul's passing on to glory, they couldn't find a pagan temple that was in use because of the power of the gospel that had impacted all those areas, just literally emptying out the, the pagan temples because people turned to Christ under the power of the gospel and of signs and wonders. Goodness me, if anybody could boast about the number of churches they planted and the leaders they raised up, it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet here he is at the end of Galatians. He says, if there's one thing, he says, God forbid that I would boast in anything except this, the cross of Christ, by which I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me. He says, basically, my heart has been taken hold of by a greater affection. Something has taken hold of my heart that has caused me to die to the claims of the world upon my life, upon my emotions, upon my loyalties. I've died to the world and the world has died to me because I've seen a love that is greater than any other love and it's captured my heart. It is the power of the cross. The cross is more than a symbol on the top of a church building. It's more than a, a, you know, something that you wear as a little statement of John jewelry or, or on a little necklace or something like that. It's more than a symbol of, of religion or, or of execution. It speaks to us of the love of God for you and me, never ending, unfailing, the love that God has for you and me. It is the power of God to transform our lives. It's interesting that Paul here mentions two different groups of people. He says to the Greeks, the message of the cross is foolishness. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. You wonder why he mentions those two groups of people. Can I just explain for a moment? Number one, to the Greeks, the great intellectuals like Aristotle and Plato, it seemed to them as if this is foolishness, this message of the cross. But can I just say for a moment, you know, you can have the whole alphabet behind your name, but I can say with great confidence today that actually if you were dying of cancer today and there was nothing the medical world could do to help you, you would give away all of those, yeah, you know, all of those degrees and all of those letters behind your name. If you had a Swiss bank account and you were multi-millionaire, you'd give away all the money just so that you could have more years to live and enjoy those that you love. And is that not so? It's absolutely so. But the reality is this, that the cross brings us into a relationship with God that the Bible defines as eternal life. 
Not only a life that is endless, but also a quality of life that comes into us and changes us from the inside out. You know, the, the Bible, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. It uses two words for the word life. One word is bios, which just means physical life. So everyone in this room has got that. But there's another word that it uses, and that word is zoe, which is the word it uses for eternal life. And it uses here in John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish. And that word literally means become useless for the purpose for which they were created. But instead that they would receive eternal life. Not just physical life, breath in your lungs. But actually life that is endless. A quality of life. God's own life coming into our hearts and changing us from the inside out. It's a life that goes all the way through time and into eternity. But hey, why does he mention the Jews? I'll tell you why he mentions the Jews. And it's very relevant maybe to some of us here today. He mentions the Jews because the Jews are very confident in their own self-righteousness. They thought actually that they were pretty good. I sometimes think even about some believers. Some believers are not as on fire for God and on fire for evangelism for the gospel as they should be because I have a sneaky feeling that some guys think actually that they lived a pretty decent life before they became Christians. That actually they were okay, but they just wanted a bit of fire insurance. They didn't want to go to hell. So for that reason, they gave their life to the Lord, but they didn't realize that the truth is we've all sinned and we all need a Savior. Let me illustrate. A couple of years ago, I was ministering in, in uh, Sutton, not too far from here. I grew up in Sutton. I'm a southerner. I live in the Midlands now, but I, but I grew up in, in Sutton. And do you know, I was back there on my, own, my old stomping ground and I was sharing the gospel. And let me tell you this about Sutton. Probably like a lot of parts of London, Sutton is a very mixed community. It has some of the wealthiest people in the whole of the UK live there. On the other side of the coin, you have also the Rose Hill Estate, which is one of the poorest estates in the whole of London. And so you've got this extremities in society. And I was out there sharing the gospel on the streets. And I'll never forget, I just finished with a guy. We had a band there and everything else. I just finished with a young man who was from the estate who was, uh, he was a drug addict. And he had sobbed his way through to Christ. He knew his need of forgiveness. He knew he needed the Lord to set him free. He was sobbing in my arms, giving his life to Jesus, being set free from his addiction. He left with joy and feeling free and everything else. It was a wonderful moment. But all the time I was praying for him, out of the corner of my right eye, I could see a very wealthy dressed, a kind of Armani man, off to the side there, just watching me, observing me. And he didn't look desperately happy about what was going on. Anyway, as soon as I let this go, this, this guy go, suddenly the very finely dressed gentleman steps up to me, says, Jonathan, just like that, and put his hand out. I said, I took his hand. I said, uh, yes, sir, how can I help you? He said, um, I want you to know. He said, I've been listening to you. I said, okay. And he says, um, I want you to know that I'm a very good man. Well, I thought it was a bit of a strange thing to begin the conversation with, really. So I said, well, good for you, sir. I'm glad to hear it. At uh, which moment he said, I want you to know, he says, I have a great job. I'm a wealthy man. I have a great job. I've, I have a wonderful wife and children. And uh, we have a great home. I've always been faithful in paying my taxes. And I've always lived a good life. He said, I don't need any forgiveness. I don't need your God. I certainly don't need Jesus Christ. I said, wow. Well, so I just said to him for a moment, well, 
so can I just say for a moment, just as a, as a little beginning to our conversation, look, I don't really want to waste much of your time. You obviously feel that, you know, that I don't have anything that will help you in any way, but can I just shake your hand anyway? It's very rare that I meet a perfect man. And in fact, the, the, the only other one that I ever met was Jesus Christ. You know, so actually, it's quite good to meet somebody else. I said, so, um, I said but just as you're on your way, I, I know you don't feel you need any forgiveness. I said, but just as you're on your way, maybe I could leave you with a few thoughts to contemplate. I said, you know, actually, the Bible says that the law of God was not given to make us righteous. And this is a shock to a lot of people, because a lot of people think that God actually gave us his rules so that we could just try to live up to them. But that isn't the reason he gave it. The real reason he gave the law was to show us that we couldn't keep it, and that we've got a problem on the inside that's more powerful than ourselves. And as long as we think we can save ourselves, we'll never be saved by him. And so this is the problem, actually. Our problem is bigger than ourselves, and it's called sin. And we've all sinned, and so that's why we all need a Savior. So I know you feel that you haven't sinned, sir, and that you're perfect, but can I just leave a few things for you to think about? So here are a few of the laws of God. I said, let's forget about the first one, because nobody, can, nobody fulfills that. The first one is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, nobody does that, so we all need forgiveness every day of our lives. I said, so let's forget about that one for a moment, but let's just look at a few. Here's one for a moment. The Bible says you shall not commit murder. He said, I want you to know I've never murdered anybody. I said, I'm so pleased to hear it, sir. I said, however, the thing about it is this, is that Jesus actually goes deeper and he says that if you hate somebody, you've murdered them already. So can I just ask you, sir, have you ever hated anybody? Have you ever, maybe, maybe that partner in business who diddled you? Maybe that tax inspector who took away more than you thought he should have taken away? Maybe that person who cut you up going round the roundabout and something slipped out of your mouth? I said, maybe, just maybe. Well, well, you know, um, well, I said, look, I don't want, I don't want to spoil your day or anything. I said, let me just, um, let me just, uh, let's just look at another one just for a moment. I said, the word of God says you shall not commit adultery. It's one of the commands of God. He said, I want you to know I've always been faithful to my wife. I said, so pleased to hear it, sir. I said, but Jesus goes a bit deeper, and he actually says, if you look at a woman with lust for her, you've already committed adultery, which probably means that every man alive has at some point or another. So I said, is there just any possibility? So just maybe that you've just, maybe just looked at a woman with lust. I don't know, you know, and just possibly. He just, well, 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 um, you will. well, well, haven't we all? I, I said, yes, well, quite all right. Well, shall we just move on? Uh, I said, look, just one last one, and then, then maybe you want to just carry on your way. I said, the word of God says that the Lord will not hold guiltless the person who takes his name in vain. Have you ever said, oh, my Yes, 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 yes. I said, right, so can we just, just have a, a little rewind for a moment? Uh, so, so we started our conversation with your confession that you're a perfect man. Uh, in fact, that you've never sinned, and in fact, you need no forgiveness at all. I said, we've ended the, the conversation by you freely admitting to me that actually you're a blasphemous, adulterous murderer. Uh, I said, don't you think that it's actually possible that, that maybe now you need forgiveness? He looked at me for a moment and said, um, where are those leaflets you were giving out? <laughs> but look, can I just say to us today that the reality is every single human being on the face of the planet needs forgiveness of sin. And, you know, this is the big thing that was a stumbling block to the Jewish people because they thought that they could somehow be their own saviour. 
You see, the thing about religion is religion, the aim of religion is to somehow try and make it up to God that somehow we can do enough, live good enough, make or do something enough for him that we can be accepted by God. But you see, the price of sin is not religious observance. The price of sin is death. And that's why by, by trying to live a religious life, we'll never be saved. So this is what God did for us in the cross. Jesus came to us. God bridged the gap to us. Christianity is not about what we can do for God. It's all about what God's done for us. Jesus came perfectly God, fully God and fully man. Showed us what God is like, forgiving sins, healing the sick, setting people free. They put him up on the cross, but actually it was God's plan that he would die in our place. Three times he prophesied his own death and his own resurrection. You know, you could say, well, you could prophesy your own death and maybe annoy people enough to get them to kill you. <laughs> but to prophesy your own resurrection? Can I say for a moment, I was a history student, and so I'll always be interested to know the facts. Me coming to Christ, one of the things for me was, is it archaeologically sound? Let, let me tell you right now, there has never been an archaeological discovery that has ever contradicted the Bible. Not one. Never. Never, never, never. So I'm talking to you secular history now. 100% confirms the Bible, straight down the line. Okay? So let me just say this. Number two, think about this, just a little bit of Roman history here. You know, when the Romans put you in a tomb, when, when the Roman governor would put a seal, and that's what the Bible says, and what secular history also says, was put on Jesus' tombstone. First of all, the stone that was rolled across was, was about a ton and a half. So, you know, basically people did, it was normally put on the slant, and it was rolled in, they would move the, the, the wooden kind of thing out, and it would roll into place. Basically, you know, you'd take a good number of people to move that thing. Following that, there was the governor's seal on it. The price to be paid for breaking the, the Roman governor's seal was to be executed hanging upside down on a cross. Your guts basically came down into your mouth. Very unpleasant, very painful. No one broke a Roman governor's seal. On top of that, they, they, they put there also a troop of these Roman soldiers. And actually, the particular soldiers that they put were like the Roman SAS. So when you, have, you know, when you have these people claim that his disciples came along and they stole the body, there's a few things to consider. Number one, are we saying that basically some amateur fishermen from Galilee took on the SAS of the Roman army, beat them all up, left them all dead, rolled away a ton and a half stone away, risking being crucified upside down, and then ran off with the body, which actually there would have been quite easy to find them and find the body, and the whole thing would have been debunked. Why were all of the apostles bar one and Jesus prophesied that John wouldn't die that way? Why were all of the rest of them, the 11, all of them were martyred for their faith? Why would you go through martyrdom for something you knew was a lie? My brother is one of the top lawyers in this country. He's often been in the Times 100 who's who in the country every year. Then it says, when he became a lawyer and went onto the bar, I remember this, that uh, actually he told me himself that the Lord Chief Justice of England wanted to see uh, what was coming through, what talent was coming through. So he invited a number of the new lawyers to come up to the Royal Courts of Justice and present a small case before him. At the end of it, after Paul did this small case to him, he invited him back into his chambers. 
And the Lord Chief Justice said, I understand, Paul, that you are a Christian and a genuine Christian of that, a born-again Christian. He said, he said, yes, I am your Lordship. But why do you ask? He said, well, look, just for your interest. He said, for your encouragement. He said, it's been an interest of mine for many years to examine the evidence, both, we would say, internal and external, secular and Christian, for the evidence of Christ's resurrection from the dead. He said, um, let me tell you, Paul, he said, if the evidence for Christ's resurrection from the dead was put in front of a British court today, if at the end of the day the decision was made that Christ was not physically raised from the dead on that Easter Sunday, he said that decision would be laughed out of court. He says, because the evidence is so overwhelming. He says, Christ was raised from the dead on that third day. He said, I have to say that to you. He said, if we came to any other conclusion... He said, if we came to any other conclusion, he said, we would have to destroy the whole basis of British justice in our land. He said, but, he said, you may say to me, why am I yet not a Christian then? He said, well, let's not have any of this rubbish that it isn't true. He said, it's 100% true. He says, the reason I'm not yet a Christian is because I like my sin too much. So he said, let's not all have all the other rubbish that we use to keep God at a distance. Let's face the facts. Our issue is with sin. We want to live our own lives and have no consequences. But real life isn't like that. Anybody else discover that? <laughs> There's consequences to our, our actions. Life is a sowing and reaping experience. If you don't like what you sow, what you're reaping, change what you're sowing. <laughs> so I just say today, there is only one place that you can really come and bring the sins of your past, and we've all committed them. Me too. We all stand guilty as judged. There is no way out for ourselves unless we take God's way. And Jesus said, I am the way. Not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. As I start to come into land and bring this message to a close, I want to share with you very briefly just four things that Jesus accomplished for you and me at the cross. And there's a lot more than this, but here are just four and let it be an encouragement to your heart today. And then I want to give you the opportunity as somebody loved me enough two years ago to respond to what Jesus has done for you. Number one, and really somebody described this as the great divine exchange. Number one, the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Amazing exchange. It's as if we had lived Christ's peerless, pure and holy life, and as if He had lived our sinful life. Christ literally has taken the full penalty for all our sins, past, present and future. All of them. He paid the price in full. He did that for you and me. And then he gives to us the gift of righteousness. Which is basically his perfect righteousness. His standing before God. His perfect life given to us as a gift. As if we had never ever sinned. That's amazing grace. That is what the Bible tells us. Great news. I have had the privilege over 31 years of preaching the gospel in about 50 countries. 
Sometimes preaching to large crowds, the largest is about 300,000. Others have just been talking to a single person and a, you know, on the street or a government leader in their office or whatever. I've had the joy of leading mafia men to Christ and, and uh, Islamic terrorists and people like that. They are the exceptions. I've had the greater majority of ordinary folks like you and me. But, you know, I can remember us preaching the gospel in Mindanao, uh, you know, the Muslim-dominated part of the Philippine Islands. 20,000 people there. Power of God came. You know, goiters were disappearing off people's throats. Deaf ears were opening. Uh, cripples walked. God did amazing miracles. In the midst of all of that, there was a man who was very infamous in the area. They used to call him Johnny Hitman. They called him that because that was his job. <laughs> like you might be Mark the Mechanic or... <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Tim the teacher. <laughs> so he's Johnny the hitman. He was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of people. He was an Islamic terrorist. But he heard the good news of the gospel that says this, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. He gave his life to Christ. And then he wanted to do what the Bible says, to obey it, to be baptized in water. I never forget, I took him and I baptized him in the water a couple of days later. I didn't ask for this, but as I put him down in the water, God gave me a vision and I saw blood coming off his hands. I said, Lord, what is that? And the Lord said to me, that is the blood of all the lives he's taken and never again will I require it from him. Today, that man is a pastor in the Philippines, giving life instead of taking it. That's the power of the gospel to transform lives. We don't need religion. We need a savior and there is a savior and his name is Jesus and he loves you and he loves me. So number one, he took our sins that we might have right standing, be put right with God. Number two, the Bible says that Jesus was whipped and beaten for us and by his wounds we were healed. It says that he actually bore away our sicknesses and carried away our diseases and our pains. So, you know, healing is a reality. I'm not kidding you when I say I have seen thousands of people healed by the power of God. I'm not a healer. There's only one healer here today. That's Jesus. But we've seen many healed. My granddad was healed of bowel cancer with full medical evidence, having had no medical intervention whatsoever at St. Anthony's Private Hospital in North Cheam, where the top specialist in bowel cancer in London was the one who oversaw his case. And his words were this, after prayer, they showed him the diagnosis x-ray. It showed a shredded bowel. They had to rush him in. He was going to have to have a colostomy and live with a bag for the rest of his life. But instead of that, he was prayed for in the name of Jesus. When he went back, because all the bleeding stopped, he'd been bleeding profusely. Because all the bleeding stopped, he went back in and he demanded another x-ray. Now, number one, he was paying for it. Number two, he was a regimental sergeant major, so he was a very direct talker. And so he said to the consultant, he says, listen, I'm paying. So he said, I want another x-ray. But when the x-ray came back, they couldn't believe it was the same man. So they sent him down for another one and said, this one's on us. <laughs> But when it came back, he showed the diagnosis x-ray, showed a shredded bowel, showed the x-ray after prayer. It was a brand new bowel. And you know, the top specialist in London, he says this to my granddad. He said, if I could get my name on that, it'd make me a wealthy man. <laughs> he said, but you've not had any medical help at all. He says, that is the hand of God. And you can put my name on that. He said, but I have to do the medical thing. I have to see you six months for six years. Every six months, he said, for six years before they can write you off from cancer. It never came back. Never. Healed by the power of God. Full medical evidence.
last week up in Peterborough. I was preaching in Kingsgate, my home church, preaching there. And the, one of our guys is one of our stewards. He used to work for the Rhodesian Army. He worked in the artillery. During that time, his ears were blown. There's a lot of noise around artillery. And his ears were blown. We're praying over the crowd. I didn't personally lay hands on him. We just prayed over the crowd for Jesus to heal the sick. But as we prayed, Jesus instantly restored his hearing. This last week, he's gone back to the doctors. They've examined it. 100% medical confirmation. Perfect hearing restored. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. So Jesus took our sins that we could be made righteous. He took our sickness that we may be healed. The Bible says also that he took our curse, our bondage, the things that bind us, and gave us the blessings of Abraham instead. There's a lot of people who are addicted by things today. It can be alcohol. It can be pornography. It can be 101 different things in your life. But let me tell you, there is a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. Why carry on living in addiction? Why carry on living under the burden of shame and guilt when Jesus can break your chains and set you free? I had a friend called Alan. He was a wonderful guy. But you know, dear Alan, bless him, he needed some extra cash. He got a job as a publican. He thought he'd be fine. But he started drinking all this free alcohol around. He started drinking it. And like everybody with any kind of addiction, thought, that's fine, I can cope with that. I'll just say no to it. But he didn't realize the thing was getting a hold on him. And finally, he's totally addicted by it. Six times he went to drying out sessions with Alcoholics Anonymous, but he would come back and he'd end up straight back on the bottle. He got to such a place where he couldn't function. And that's when he got up in the morning, he had a liter of vodka to drink. That's a lot of vodka. <laughs> but you know what? He finally got to the place the doctor said, your liver is so destroyed by alcohol, if you don't stop drinking, you'll be dead in three months. At that point, he turned to God. Isn't it a shame that people wait for crisis before they turn to God? Let me encourage you, Jesus doesn't want to just be your crisis manager, but your very best friend day by day, your Savior. You know, I've had the joy of leading a quarter of a million people to the Lord. I've never met anyone who ever regretted giving their life to Christ. They just regret they didn't do it earlier. Everything good in this life comes from him but take it away from him and it's like an, an empty Coke tin. You've got all the externals, but nothing on the inside. Alan came along to a meeting we set up for Ray McCauley from South Africa. He leads a church of 29,000 now in Joburg. I'll never forget it. He responded to the appeal. He came forward to give his life to Christ and Ray didn't know him at all, but he suddenly pointed to him and said to him, Sir, Jesus says to you, never again. That was 32 years ago. Alan has never touched a drop of alcohol since that day. There is freedom in Christ. Can I say the fourth thing and the last thing is this. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 and with this we come into land this morning. Says this. That as the children, he's talking about you and me, were made of flesh and blood. He likewise partook of the same. So Christ became a man. God became a man in Christ. So that he might deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, there are many fears in people's lives, but the mother of all fears is the fear of death. I don't know what your timekeeping is like, but that's one appointment we'll all keep unless Christ comes back first. 
And there's actually only two places you can go. There's either heaven or there's hell. George Harrison of the Beatles made this statement. As he comes to the end of his autobiography, he says, I've had everything the world could ever give me. All the wealth, all the fame, and all the women... But here I am and the doctor says I have five minutes left to live and I'm haunted by the three questions that have followed me all my life. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Can I say that the answer to those three questions is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? When you receive him as your, as your savior and your Lord, you discover who you really are. You discover why you were born, why you're here, and you discover where you're going. And a new security and peace enters your heart that will never leave you as you walk in relationship with him. The Bible promises this, and then I'm going to pray. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's the promise of God. It involves repentance. That word means turning from sin to follow Christ. Putting your faith in him that he died to pay the price to your sins and rose again. And confessing him as Lord. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now that helps us to express all those things. Straight from the Bible. Pray it. Mean it. Jesus will come into your life and save you for now and all eternity. Can we just out of respect for God for a few moments, please? Bow our heads and close our eyes in the presence of God. Let's say this together. If you are a Christian, please pray these words to support those who maybe need to for a first time or maybe even need to return to the Lord of being away from God. If you don't yet know Jesus, please pray these words. We need to say them out loud. That's what Jesus said, to believe in our heart and say it with our mouths. Please pray these words and mean them from your heart. Christ will hear and come into your life. And those who are coming back to the Lord, you also pray these prayers. The Lord is waiting to hear and to receive you back to himself. I'll say it line by line and just give you a moment to say the words. But remember, you're talking to God today. Let's say this to the Lord out loud together. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me, that you died for my sins, and rose from the dead. I believe it. I believe in you. Come into my heart. Save me, Lord. I turn from my sins to follow you. And I boldly confess that Jesus is Lord. You are my Lord. And I will love you and serve you as long as I live. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for a new beginning, a new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we just keep our head still bowed and eyes closed for a few moments, please. Jesus said these words. He said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you don't confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my Father. These are the words of Jesus. We can't be secret Christians. We have to nail our colors to the mast. And so if you pray that prayer for a first time or a recommitment to Christ, I'm going to count down to three. And when I get to the number three, that's your signal to raise your hand here in God's presence and say, yes, that's me. I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Are we ready? Here we go. When I get to three, that's your signal to raise your hand. If you prayed it for a first time or a recommitment to Christ, here we go. 
One, two, three. Just raise your hand up right now if that's you. Bless you. Bless you, young man over there. Anybody else here? You're saying, yes, that's me. I prayed it. I meant it. Just raise your hand up quickly in God's presence and admit it to, to the Lord. You're saying, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. Anybody else like that? Just be delighted to pray for you. Okay, lady over there. God bless you. Fantastic. All right, so that's great. Do you know it's the very best thing that you can ever do with your life? You never know what your future holds, but you have right now. Right now. Think about it this time. If this is the only time you ever hear the gospel in your life, are you making the right decision? Many times people will pray the prayer, but then not have the guts to acknowledge it publicly. Remember, Christ is waiting to acknowledge you before the Father, but you need to acknowledge him before people. So look, raising your hand is a, is a good first step, but I'm going to ask you to do something else right now. Can we all stand to our feet, please? And I'm going to ask you to do one last thing. If you raised your hand, or you know that you should have done, I'm going to ask you right now quickly to leave where you're standing or sitting and come and join me right here at the front. I want to pray for you. Just do it right now. Don't be afraid. Just come. Just come right now. If you raised your hand, I know that you should have done. God bless you. Just come. Well done. Well done. Bless you. There's a gentleman at the back as well who's responding. What to invite for you to come. What do I want to do right now? And I tell you what, this kind of thing is so urgent, I'm going to ask you to do something that may seem a little bit, it's definitely not British, put it that way. But I'm going to ask you to be bold enough to do this. So turn to the person next to you and say, do you need forgiveness? Do you need to get right with God? And if you can't ask the question, you need to be down here. So I'm going to ask you, to, if they say, I'm not sure or whatever, just say, come with me. Let's go down the front together. Just ask somebody near you, do you need forgiveness? Do you need to get right with God? If they say, I'm not sure or whatever, just say, come with me. Let's go down the front. Is there anybody else who needs to come? Just come quickly. Be delighted to pray for you today. Come on, we're going to wrap this up very quickly. If you need to get down here, come down here right now. If you need to get saved, just come now in Jesus' name. Don't wait for another day. Come now. Come now. Come and get saved. Is there anybody else who needs to come? Just come in Jesus' name. We'll wait on you. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Look, I'm going to count down from five to one. Then we're just going to pray for these guys. If there's anybody else who's coming, come right now. Okay, here we are. Five, four, three, two, one. One. That's it. Okay. I'm going to ask right now, I need one, two, three, four. I need four ladies, please. Can I have four godly women who can come pray for these ladies for a moment? I'm just going to pray for you for a moment, and these ladies are going to just take you aside and just to pray for you personally. All right. Bless you. Fantastic. Great. Do we have one more lady for this precious lady here? Thank you. Could you just stretch out a hand to these ladies here? Father, we thank you so much for each one of these ladies who are responding to you today. We bless them in the name of Jesus. And we pray right now, Father, that you would do a work of transforming grace in their lives this morning. That they would leave here today knowing that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, that their sins are forgiven and heaven is their eternal home. We bless them. We break the power of darkness off their lives in the name of Jesus. Fill them with your spirit, we pray today, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Please, just, just take them to uh, another place near you and just have some personal time just to pray.